The following is a message from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. More information about Parkview is available at www.parkviewchurch.org. Good morning. So good to have you all here. Just think, I mean, we are less than a week away. I mean, just think about it. This time next week, there'll be rapping all over the floor and presents and kids screaming. And uh, it's an exciting time of year. You know, I can't wait because I, I love to give gifts uh, that nobody has a clue about. And uh, I'm looking forward this year for, for our kids. I have something. I, I just can't wait for them to receive uh, this gift. It's, it's hard, really hard to keep it a secret. And, uh, you know, the interesting thing is that I also know another secret, a secret that years ago, even, even before the creation of the world, uh, God in heaven designed the absolute perfect gift. Looking down the corridor of time, he knew that this would be the perfect gift for all of humanity. And he wrapped this perfect gift up um, in the flesh of his only begotten son, the incarnation, and placed him under the tree. And for generations and generations, for thousands of years, people have come to the manger to unwrap and to receive uh, the gift. And so I would like to present to you today, I want us to look at the at my all-time favorite nativity passage, a uh, passage that many people would argue is not even a nativity passage, uh, but I would submit it's one that I go back to year after year after year. So if you have your Bibles, I want to read um, John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness, to bear witness about the light that all might believe through Him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light, the true light, which gives light to everyone who is coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world didn't know him. He came to his own, and his own people didn't even receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now John bore witness about Him and cried out, This is He of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because He was made before me. For from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace." For the law was given through Moses, yet grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. You know, it's so interesting to me that before the creation of the world, God looks through the corridor of time and he says, you know, the gifts that people need more than any other are this, the gift wrapped up in one, the gifts of grace and truth. 
So I want to talk about these two topics, the gifts of grace and truth. They tend to be a little abstract, so I want to do it more personally so you can relate to it. And the way I'm going to do that is that I'm going to introduce you to a set of twins, a set of twins who were who were born. Uh, the father had already died, actually, but were born to a mother, and their names were Caris and Alethea. So they were these two girls. They were born in the same family, and uh, Car- both of them were wonderful little kiddos. But unfortunately, when they were about two years of age, the mother died. And so both of these little twin girls had to be separated to go to aunts and uncles uh, in different towns about a couple of hundred miles apart from one another. Well, Karis, uh, she grew up to be such a wonderful little girl. Uh, she, was, she was so kind, uh, so tender-hearted, and she constantly did for other people. She, she constantly served, she constantly cared for others. Even when she was in kindergarten, when there were other little students who, who didn't have presents, she would, or, or gifts or toys, she would take her own toys and give them uh, to her friends. And when she was in junior high school and, and high school, she, she was always uh, coming to soothe hurts, to bind needs. She was always there to help, always giving, always loving, always listening. But the strangest thing happened over time uh, as Karis continued to meet their needs, continued to, to help them. The people that she helped began to be strangely dependent upon Karis. And they never developed their own strength. They never developed their own courage. And they, because they were so dependent upon Karis meeting their needs and doing for them, uh, they became weak. They became lazy. They became tired. And as people, they began to shrivel up. Now, on the other hand, there was Alethea, and Alethea was a wonderful little girl as well, but, but very, very different. She had this strange ability uh, to see truth. She could see things that nobody else could see. She could see inside people's hearts. And, and she could understand what people were doing and why, even the motive behind it, why they were doing it. She could see their lies. She could see when they were hiding things. So she constantly saw the truth. But what made it difficult about Alethea was that she couldn't help saying the truth either. So she moved through life, always seeing, always telling. And you know that every time she, uh, you looked at her, she could see you. (laughs) And I don't mean just see the external you. She could see inside of you, inside of your heart, down to the every motive. Now you can imagine, at first, knowing a girl like Alethea, say if she was in your high school or junior high, I mean, it would be so cool to have somebody who could tell your thoughts uh, only for a while. And then it began to get a little too scary. It actually, for somebody who could see your heart and your motives, it became overwhelmingly hard and difficult. And so, just like Karas for Alethea, um, nobody really wanted to be with her. It, it was just too scary to be around her because the truth 
is just time, sometimes extremely scary. Well, a wonderful thing happened when they were about 12 years old. Uh, I'm sorry, when they turned about 18 years old, Karis and Althea got together again. And when they got together again, boy, they just fell in love and they fit together just like a hand in, in a glove. Althea would meet somebody, see the truth, tell the truth, and then Karis was right there to love them, support them, and encourage them to cry with them. And then Alethea was there to tell more truth. Karis was there to surround them with her love and acceptance. And so Karis and Alethea stayed together for the rest of their lives, and they had a beautiful and a very wonderful impact on the lives of everyone who came in contact with them. You see, Chorus, Grace, and Alethea, Truth, were meant to go together. They were always meant to be together, never separated. The truth of the matter is, for you and for me, we probably, depending on our personalities, we tend toward one end of the spectrum or another. Either we tend toward the side of grace and forgiveness and acceptance and we cut ourselves a lot of slack and we cut everybody who lives around us a lot of slack. Uh, And then all of a sudden, though, truth becomes, without aletheia, truth becomes very relative and it wears a little thin. And we begin to lose internal strength and courage. And we lose the ability to tell the difference between right and wrong. We lose direction and we begin to deteriorate as a person. But there are others of us who tend toward truth. uh, Scientific truth, philosophical truth, uh, religious truth, prophetic truth, ethical truth, legal truth telling the truth, speaking the truth. And that's great. The truth, let me tell you, the truth is absolutely essential and it's wonderful. But if it's Aletheia all by herself, the truth will wear you out. And it'll wear out anybody who lives around you because the bar is just set to high and you'll never measure up. So depending on how we were raised and our experiences, we're going to come along different sides of that continuum. I remember it was, I just, just met somebody who's getting ready to give an engagement ring to somebody um, just talked to them before coming into the service. It reminded me of years ago when I was getting ready to propose to Cheryl and give her a diamond ring. I went to Philip Gabriel's Diamond Exchange in New Orleans uh, right off of Canal Street. And I can remember it like it was yesterday. Uh, went there, Philip Gabriel took out, had a big table, pulled out a chair and I sat on the table. Then he pulled out this big black velvet board. He placed it under the lights. He took out a little package of diamonds you know, about the size that I could afford. You barely see them. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but uh, he, he poured those diamonds out on the, on the table and then one by one he took tweezers and picked up a diamond and dropped it on that black velvet. 
Well, when they were on the glass, you know, you, you just saw a bunch of like little glass over there, but you couldn't really tell it. But the moment he dropped that diamond on that black velvet with a light, that thing just came alive. The color and the brilliance and the vibrancy. But it took the stark contrast of truth for grace to have all of its sparkle. You see, the truth, truth tells us who God really is. It's truth that tells us exactly who we are. And then it's the diamond of grace that will meet the needs that the truth exposes. So at Christmas time, in the manger, grace and truth beautifully and perfectly come together. That is the story of the Gospel of John. Over and over, you see grace and truth. And throughout the whole book of John, you see the comparison and contrast of grace and truth put together. I just want to show you a few examples of that, how Jesus is the gift of truth. Notice how he, he just told the truth about God. I, I love when he, they were in the upper room. Jesus is getting ready to, to be crucified. I mean, this was Thursday night, late Thursday night before, before he was betrayed. You know, he, he's talking to his disciples and, and you know, and F Philip is just wondering, you know, who, who really is, is God? I mean, what is all this really about? And, you know, and Jesus in, in John 14 says, you know, Philip, if you've seen me, you, you've seen the Father. You know, our, our tendency is, oh yeah, everybody believes in God, but we want to make God, you know, maybe just a, a step better than we are, you know, just a tad better. You know, and Jesus won't let us get away with that. He, he wants us to see the truth. And so Jesus lays down the stark reality of who God and his absolute holiness, his absolute perfection, his absolute uh, detesting of evil and sin, his, his wrath, such a strong word, but his wrath against ungodliness and sin. But folks, until you see the stark reality and the darkness of the velvet of who God really is, you will never see the brilliance of the diamond of grace that's dropped upon it. It's just like a diamond on, on glass. You barely see it. But when you see it on the reality of who God really is and who you really are, then that diamond of grace makes all the sense in the world. Forgiveness and love and acceptance until you understand the demands of God's absolute holiness and perfection, it will lose its brilliance and it will lose its shine. You've got to have both. And Jesus, through the Gospel of John, so beautifully communicates the truth about God. He communicates the truth about us too, people. In John 4, when he came across that dear woman from Samaria, who were the arch enemies of the Jews, he began to talk to her. He says, ma'am, um, 
where's your husband? And she said, I don't have a husband. And Jesus, just, just like that twin, Alethea, just knows it all, says, you're right when you said you don't have a husband because the truth is, the truth is that you're not expressing, but the truth is you've had five husbands and the one that you're living with now isn't your husband. And she says, what you've said is true. Jesus revealed the truth about her. She couldn't hide anything. But, but notice, upon that black velvet, Jesus immediately drops the diamond of grace to this woman from Samaria. He says, look, if you only knew, ma'am, you're dead. You don't understand it, but you're dead. But if you only knew who was speaking to you, you, you could ask for living water. You, you could ask for life. And I would give it to you free of charge. Do you see that diamond of grace? It would never sparkle with brilliance if it wasn't for the velvet of truth. He told the truth about the future. You know, here, John chapter 14, you know, again, they're, they're getting ready. You know, Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross. He's getting ready to be betrayed. And he's telling them what's going to happen. You know, he's just going through, you know, the body and the blood. He's going through communion, all this stuff. And he says, look, you, you need to know this, that where I go, you know, I'm going to go and I'm, gonna prepa I'm preparing a place for you. I'm preparing a mansion for my family, for, for my friends. And uh, throughout the entire book, he, he tells people who are extremely religious, who are, who are very religious, he's telling them over and over and over. He's saying, look, all of your religiosity, everything that you're doing to try and work your way to heaven, none of it's going to work. None of it will open the door of heaven for you. I mean, that's the stark reality of all their effort. It's going to do nothing. It's worth nothing. And he goes to the most religious person in all of Israel. And he wants, he wants Nicodemus to see this. You've got to understand that, that keeping the, the minute details of the law, not that there's anything wrong with the law. Paul makes that very clear too. But thinking that by doing that, you're, you're going to finally be good enough? He says, Nicodemus, no. You need to be born again. Such a strange term. Born again. He didn't get it. He, what do you mean, go back into my mother's womb? I mean, for Nicodemus at that point, Jesus is saying, look, all the works of the law isn't going to do anything. You've got to be a born again. He's scratching his head. I mean, everything looks like black velvet to him. And then, you know what Jesus tells Nicodemus? Now, we normally don't even put this in the context. We normally don't even know where John 3.16 lands, but it's to Nicodemus. And he drops the diamond of grace. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whosoever believes 
in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. As human beings in this culture, you know, we, we desperately need truth. We, we want grace. Everybody wants grace. But you'll never appreciate it without truth. There's a philosopher by the name of Alan Blum who says, you know, it's so interesting now as he examines American culture, American culture is driven by relativism. I mean, relativism is, you know, hey, if it's true for you, great. If it's true for somebody else, that's great. You know, there... Truth is all relative. It, it really doesn't matter. You know, it just, I'm okay, you're okay. Truth is relative. And so he's, Alan, Alan Blum says, what, what we're doing then is in, in essence just flattening out truth because there is no truth. So let's just flatten it out. He says the problem with that is when we flatten out truth, we have just succeeded in flattening out life. It's impossible then to experience life as it was intended to be experienced. Jesus, however, spoke the truth. I mean, just just think, just think. Here's doubting Thomas. You know, and, and doubting Thomas is just wondering, you know, how do I get there? You know, Jesus has just talked about, I'm going to go prepare a place for you. There, there's a heaven. He's going, well, wow, how do, I, how, do I, how do I get there? And so Jesus then lays out the truth again. John 14, I am, I, he says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Nobody comes to the Father except by me. And so our culture that is so opposed to truth and wants to relativize truth says, oh no, no, you, you can't say that. that. That's too much truth. That, that's too narrow. That, that's too dark. That's too stark. That, that's too bleak. You can't say something like that. And Jesus says, I can say it. I have said it because it is true. Because without that truth, you'll never, ever see the sparkle of grace. And so Jesus is also the gift of grace. And you see that throughout John, especially in the first chapter, how grace is poured out on two massive occasions. Grace is poured out, first of all, you see it in John chapter 1, 3 to 4, uh, at creation. Through him, through Jesus, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made, for in him was life. Why? Why is creation a display of the grace of God? Can I give you something that will revolutionize your life? This will save you a lot of money if you're ever depressed. It will save you a ton of money from having to get help from people. You ready? 
God created you in his image to glorify him, to have a relationship with him. God didn't create you because he needed you. God created you because he wanted you. God wants you. God wants you. What does that do to us when we think the reason I am here is because I'm needed to do something. No, God created you because he wanted you. Would you say something? This would be the greatest Christmas present you'll ever give to yourself. Would you say this with me? I want you to, this is what it is. God wants me. Not needs, God wants me. Will you say that with me? God wants me. But I'll tell you what. If you don't understand that creation is the place where grace was poured out, you know what happens to us? Then we become reduced. We, we become reduced maybe to a set of molecular exchanges. We become reduced to the biological union of a sperm and an egg. We become reduced to blips on a behavior scale. We become reduced to what we purchase, what we earn, what we have, what we buy. No. We were made to have a relationship with God because he wants to have a relationship with us. The other great place, and you see it throughout the... This is why the whole book was written. The other place that grace was just poured out, you see it in verse 12. The, whole, the reason grace was poured out was... poured out at salvation. Look at verse 12. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You see, if if the first grace robber are the reducers that just want to reduce us to a set of biological functions, then the second grace Robber are the producers. The producers. Well, what gives me worth and value is if I can just produce, if I can produce academically, if I can produce athletically or or sociologically, or even in the realm of religion, or even in the church, I'm a value. If I produce, if I don't produce, then I'm not worth as much. The producers of life will rob us from one of the greatest gifts of life, and that's the gift of grace. And the gift of grace comes, how? Verse 12 tells us, by receiving, not producing, receiving him. Why? And I think as Christians, we need to be reminded that how do we get in God's family? The Bible tells us very clearly. We are adopted into God's family. 
Now, the very word adoption. Why is a person adopted into God's family? Is it because they have finally produced enough for, to warrant being adopted? Are you kidding me? You know, daughter number two has three kids adopted. What, what, did they adopt them? Because, well, finally, here's the scale. Here's the truth scale. Once you can do this and this and this, once you can pass this, okay, now I'll adopt you. No, 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 no. That just destroys what grace is all about. It robs us of grace. The point of John 1.12 is that we don't do anything to get adopted. So the diamond of grace then is dropped upon the black velvet of Aletheia, of truth. And it was dropped upon it at creation that we are far more than a statistical point or a blip on a screen. We are far more than just a bunch of atoms in a molecular stew whose DNA just happened to arrange itself in adorable little you. We're far more than just something we've worked for. We've been adopted, adopted, simply by receiving a gift, not by uh, producing or by earning. So the question is, where does that leave me for Christmas? So you have this, this back and forth, back and forth through the whole Gospel of John of great examples of grace and truth. Truth's laid down. Grace is dropped upon it. And you finally get to the end of the book. And you think, finally, everybody should get it. And so Jesus is standing in front of Pilate. You know, and Pilate is, you know, his wife has dreams about this whole thing. He hears all the evidence. Uh, and so, you know, he concludes to Jesus, so oh, you're the king. And Jesus said, yeah, you're right in saying I'm a king. In fact, for this reason, I was born. For this reason, I was born in a manger. For, for this reason, I came at Christmas time. For this reason, I came into the world to testify to the truth. And he said, everyone on the side of truth will listen to me. And then Pilate says, I don't know the right inflection. I I don't know it. Is it one of a seeker, one of genuine curiosity? Hmm, What is truth? Or is it more sardonically? (laughs) What is truth? I don't know. You take your own guess. But what's most important is, where are you? Where are you? What about you? You see, the point of John's nativity story is not so much what is truth, even though the propositions of the gospel are clearly laid out in the gospel of John. The biggest message here, it's not the question, what is truth, but who is truth. So we get the purpose of the entire book in chapter 20. All of these things were written so that you might believe in the who of truth. That you that was written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. 
So how do you do that? So that's the end of the book of John. How, how do you get that? You go back to the beginning of the book of John, the two bookends, John 1, yet to all who, verse 12, received him. To those who reduce, produce, no, believe in his name. He gave them the right to become children of God. And you think, well, why? Why, why would God do that? Well, that's the diamond he gave Nicodemus. The reason he would do it is for God so loved the world that he gave. Not earning. He gave his only begotten son. That whosoever, this applies to everybody, whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And so Jesus tells us just like he told the woman at the well. If you just knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given to you living water. So some of you have never asked you know, the truth tells us who God is, exposes us for who we are, and then the diamond of grace will meet the need that truth exposes. Well, that is a story of Christmas. Uh, so Merry Christmas. Let's all stand together. And I'll close with a word of prayer. And by the way, I'm going to close with a word of prayer, and you're dismissed, okay? So... Uh, Merry Christmas and have a great New Year as well. But don't forget Christmas Eve services here and Christmas morning as well. So we'd love to see you then. Let me pray. Lord, in some small way, Father, we've opened this package uh, that was put under the tree some 2,000 years ago. It's from you to us. We don't understand really all that it is. But we do understand, Lord, that it causes us to have joy in our hearts to receive this wonderful gift of grace and truth. And so thank you. Thank you, Father, for the gift of incarnation, grace and truth wrapped in flesh. And we thank you in the name of the one who is risen from the dead after giving his life. That's how much you loved us. And all we have to do Thank you for listening to this message from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. Parkview's mission is to love God, love others, and serve the world. If you live in the Iowa City area, we invite you to join us in person for services every weekend. You can get service times and directions, download messages, and get news and information about Parkview Church by visiting www.parkviewchurch.org. You can also contact us by phone at 319-354-5580 or write to us at Parkview Church, 15 Foster Road, Iowa City, Iowa, 52245.